Star Wars fans. For you one Star Wars fan, <laughs> picture in your head the Death Star. Okay? Just picture it in your head. Okay, you Harry Potter fans. Picture... Okay, I, you don't have to do that. You're, you're still a fan. You're still dedicated Hufflepuff or whatever. Um, picture in your head Hogwarts. For you Marvel fans, picture in your head the Infinity Gauntlet. You're not a fan if you don't know what that is. So I'm not even going to explain it. Those three genres of stories are really fun, but they're not real. You can't get on a plane or ship and go to the Death Star. You can't go on a train to a train station and go to Hogwarts. You can't go somewhere and see a glove that you do that, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life for a script, um, that that changes the entire world. Those aren't real places. We have to understand as we enter the story of the Bible that this is real. You can get on a plane right now and go to the Jordan River. You can go there and walk into it. Like, you can go to the Jordan River. There are um, archaeological, there's archaeological evidence of Jericho, the people of Israel, the, the battles throughout the Old Testament. This is history. This isn't just what you see on the silver screen. We've got to understand that as we head into Joshua chapter 3. Joshua told the people in chapter 1 to be ready to cross the Jordan. Then he sends spies out to spy out Jericho in chapter 2. And Rahab is used by God to encourage these spies. She told them that as, as soon as the people of Jericho, 40 years prior, had heard about God drying up the Red Sea and then Israel taking down the kings of the Amorites and Shihon and Og, it says this in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Faithfulness expressed by a Gentile. On the heels of Joshua, hearing the report of the spies, at the end of chapter 2, we come to Joshua chapter 3. This is God's holy word. These are the most important words I'll be speaking today. Then Joshua, verse 1, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and, the command, and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests 
who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you, sh- you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and Hittites and Hivites, the Perizzites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. We're going to stop there for now. Here's the overarching thoughts on this passage. God's powerful work calls for our faithful trust. God's powerful work calls for our faithful trust. What we find in this chapter is a focus on the presence of God with his people in the Ark of the Covenant and how God's presence calls for a response to the people. God's presence is one of the main things in this passage. God's presence calls for a response. What's the first response? Point number one, God is present, so be holy. God is present, so be holy. In verses one through six of Joshua three, we find that God is preparing his people for crossing the Jordan. They had lodged there for three days by the river, And let's remember this time of year, it's flood season. We'll actually see that as we keep reading chapter 3. This river was about 100 feet wide, 10 to 12 feet deep, moving quickly. You don't just walk through this. Take a little stroll. And let's also remember there are men, women, and children who are going to cross. So what is being asked of the people is not possible apart from God. But why the delay? Why three days by the river? Commentator David Jackman says this. I think this is helpful. This isn't a main point here, but this is a side point that the Lord may want to use for some of us. Seeming delays frequently have the greater purpose of refining and deepening our faith. Seeming delays, just pausing there. Thought we would just go quickly. Nope. We're not going quickly. We'll see on the other side of the river. They don't go quickly. Efficiency is not the thing going on here. In the midst of the three days of looking at this fast-moving river, the people are asked to consecrate themselves. There is work to be done in the waiting. There's work to be done in the waiting. God is holy, and God's work and mission are holy. That is a holy work and a holy mission, and God calls his people to be holy. The Levitical priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant on poles. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Within this golden box, it contains the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, which is God's good words about how to have a relationship with God. 
It contains the jar of manna, representing God's provision and care for his people. And it contains Aaron's budding rod, which shows God's miraculous work of bringing dead things to life and God working by providing a priest, a mediator between God and sinful people. There's a lot being said about the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. And all those things are helping the people know this. God is with you. God is with you. And the priests aren't to touch the ark. We see some bad things about that later in the Old Testament. They carried on poles. Verse 3, it tells us that the people are to keep their distance from the ark. There's going to be a good half mile between the people crossing up the river and the ark being in the middle of the river. Get that picture. About a million people moving across this area where there was once fast-flowing water. If you watch the Super Bowl, that's 16 times the crowd in that stadium last week. People walking. I just kept thinking, I mean, this is a small compared to what I'm saying, but running the Cooper River Bridge run one time and running up and just seeing crowd of people everywhere. That's what's going on crossing the Jordan River. And so the people are crossing. They look to their right, and there's this wall of water. And they look to their left, and they see the shining box in the sun where water once was. Now it's on dry ground, and the priest's holding it, and they're to be aware of the presence of Yahweh. It was amazing. There was just water there, and now they're walking through. But why the distance? Why a good half mile between the people and the Ark of the Covenant? Why do people need to be that far away? Some commentators think it's so that everybody, as they walk, they can look and see, kind of look down river and see the Ark, and that's the comfort and the awareness of the presence of Yahweh. Others think it is more because of God's holiness. Don't get too close to the ark, for God is holy, holy, holy. Sinful man cannot survive in the presence of a holy God. Commentator David Howard says this, even though the ark symbolized God's presence among his people, his presence among them was not to be taken lightly or abused. And yet God stoops, I just imagine this, puts his hand on the Jordan River, just boop, and stopping it. And the water stops flowing, and God says to them, prepare yourselves. Verse 5, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This consecration was an outward washing that the people would do, probably in the Jordan symbolizing a more important aspect of consecration, which is inward heart dedication. Honoring God with their hearts, confessing sin, expressing faith and trust. This is an act of submission and renewal. God calling his people to be holy. That word for wonders 
can be translated amazing things. They're going to see amazing things tomorrow that they're not going to be able to explain. It's going to make their knees weak. They are going to marvel. But before you go see the amazing things, you've got to be consecrated. This week, we had our elder retreat, as Elliot said earlier. The first, very first hour of our elder retreat, um, oftentimes we just spend that first hour in prayer. We did spend lots of time in prayer later. But the first hour, I just went through some stuff that I was talking about the, the first generation in Sovereign Grace. I was at a conference couple or a retreat a couple weeks ago, and this guy who's in his 70s who helped start our denomination, he was one of those hippies, drug dealer guys, um, got saved, and he was just sharing to the next generation of pastors. And his, his plea to the next generation of pastors was from Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. And he began to recount some different people in his ministry of 40, 50 years that started off well. Started off well. And then over time, they either fell away from the Lord, deconstructed their faith, whatever the popular term is, and went away and walked away. He said for years he had two great fears. One was growing familiar with his own salvation. Lord, let me continue to be amazed by your grace. And two was becoming a professional pastor. Lord, help this not to be a profession. Because as you walk along the Christian life, this isn't just for pastors, this is for any of us who've been a believer. You've seen a lot of things now. You can kind of navigate the waters. You can kind of live life and kind of boop, 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 boop. You can kind of do that. You know the language. You know how to talk. You know how to play the game if you want to play the game. And any of us can do it. We've seen it done. Here. He said this. Apostasies have small beginnings. He said, at some point over a period of time, Outside of public ministry with those pastors, they stopped giving attention to their heart. They stopped consecrating themselves. They stopped going before the Lord prior to taking steps and saying, Lord, search my heart, as Christopher said. Search my heart, O God. See if there's any sin, any way that is grievous before you. And this guy, as he talked... He said, we need to make sure our affections are stirred for Christ every morning. Our affections are stirred for Christ every morning. 1 Peter 3, it says this, So put away all malice and all deceit. Sorry, 1 Peter 2. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Basically, the summary of that passage in 1 Peter, this is Peter. This is Peter who walked with Jesus. This is Peter who calls himself a pastor and he's an apostle and like all that's Peter. He's basically saying this stop all the sinning and long for God's word. 
And if you don't long for God's word like a little baby longing for milk, it's just an instinctive, they long for milk. If you don't long for word, if you don't long for your Bible in that way, you, Christian, should be concerned. You should be super concerned, grievously concerned if you have no longing for God's word and yet you call yourself a Christian, that you say you follow Christ. You say, he's my king, he's my Lord, I follow him, but I don't want to hear from him. I don't want to talk to him. Friends, that's part of consecration. He is holy. He is worthy. In God's word, verse 3 of 1 Peter 2, God's word is shown to be a taste of God's goodness. That's what it says. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, word and taste go together. Knowing God's word, having a longing for it, like the baby with pure spiritual milk, there's a longing for it. And you taste God's goodness. Friend, when was the last time you tasted God's goodness in his word? It's not a chore. It's not a box to check. It's the almighty God who has sent his son and the word became flesh and he spoke teachings and, and by his sovereign plan, he got the word, 66 books of the Bible over thousands of miles of land, different people who didn't know each other, over 6,000 years written, all one theme of the Bible preserved for you in Spanish or in English or Portuguese. Or whatever language. Originally in Hebrew and Greek, the word. We must read for the sake of our soul. We must read the word for the sake of our soul. That guy who was at the retreat said this, the enemy of your soul, Satan, is patient and he's preparing to take us out. He has your name. He knows you. And he is patient with plans to take you out. Do you get that? If you don't think that's true, read Ephesians chapter 6. Stand together. There's arrows coming. There's armor. You don't put the armor on, church, you're going to get shot. We see it all the time. Churches dividing, divisions, gossip, slander, all that. No armor. Guys, we've got to consecrate ourselves, for he is holy. And here's just a few questions. Because we've got to ask God to give us affections through studying his word. We've got to... See what kind of affections we have. Monitor our affections. Friends, during worship singing, we just sang a bunch, we prayed a bunch. Were you less affected today than you would have been a year ago, five years ago, two years ago? During communion last week, were you less affected than other times? During community group, are you 
less affected by what's going on? When you're hearing sermons, are you less affected now? That should concern us, friends. That's part of the consecration going on. We must consecrate ourselves. God is present. We must be holy unto God. Point number two. God is present, so we must be trusting. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will again to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So God's call is a trusting call. And God tells Joshua that God's going to exalt Joshua before the eyes of Israel like he did with Moses. Joshua is having to take bold steps of trust. Remember, only be strong and courageous. We saw that over and over and over in chapter 1. And the people of Israel must trust Joshua's leadership and trust that Joshua is following Yahweh. But look where they're following toward because it seems kind of foolish. Verse 8. And as you command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the banks of, brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So here's the game plan. We haven't had game plan in chapter 1, really, or chapter 2. Now we have game plan. The priests are going into the water and standing there. 10 to 12 feet water, rushing, 100 feet wide, priests in there. Okay. So these people on the edge of the promised land, we must remember some things. They were on the edge of the promised land 40 years prior and cowered out. Cowered it out. They said, well, the people on the other side, they, they are huge. They look, we look like grasshoppers before them. 40 years passed, and now God's calling Joshua and this new generation to cross the Jordan. The people have done well so far in transitioning from Moses' leadership to Joshua's leadership, and Joshua and the people have done well in trusting this new set of spies that we learned about last week, believing that God would indeed give them the promised land. They come to the brink. They come to the camp out three days by the river, and the priests are ready to go. They put the poles in the ark. They lift it up. The people are upriver, and they are half a mile away getting ready to go through the rushing, flowing water. And the priests grab the poles. They walk toward the water. The water is rushing and flowing, and nothing is happening. Do you get that? They're all upriver. The priests are walking toward the water, and nothing's changed. Friends, don't lose that. The priest will literally have to take steps of faith and trust into the water before anything happens. Steps of faith are taken prior to anything happening. That startled me as I was studying this. They had to take steps. God wasn't laying out his plan to them. All right, we got all this, got it all manual, like, walking through Jordan for dummies or something like that. Like, he doesn't give them that. They have to take steps of obedience before anything happens. Now, why cross the Jordan? Why cross the Jordan now? I looked at pictures of the Jordan River during dry season. It's like a little creek. 
God, why cross during flood season when there's 10 to 12 foot deep rushing water? Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It tells us, Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, Jebusites. Get this. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The ark is passing. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see the ark passing. And because you see the ark passing through the water, you know all the promises I have already said to you about what's going to happen on the other side of that water, that's going to come true too. This is a promise. And you might say, wow, that's kind of a lot of hard Jebusites, Kickersites, you know, like what are all these people? This is showing a link back to Genesis chapter 15, 700 years prior. Here's what God says to Abraham. On that day, The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. There's a few more listed there, but it's basically the same list, same land, same promise, same God. God's promise and power is to teach his people to trust him. You've got to take these steps. Trust him. When nothing else changes, trust him. He can stop a river, and by you knowing he can stop a river, he can stop an army. He can cause dry ground on a riverbed. He can melt the enemy's heart. God is present And I love the beginning of verse 10. You shall know that the living God is among you. God is for you. God is fighting for you. God is doing wondrous, amazing things. You can trust him. Which means, point number three, you can take steps of obedience. God is present, so take action. God is present, so take action. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soul of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest, the wa- rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now God has these 12 guys, one from each tri- tribe of Israel, and we don't really know a lot about them till next week when you find out they pick up rocks and all that stuff. We'll get there. But what we see in the text is obedience. Tell the Levitical priest to get the ark. Joshua obeys. Tell the 12 guys that represent Israel. Joshua obeys. God says, go toward the rushing water. Joshua obeys. We see obedience even when you don't have clarity about what's going on. And then notice verse 13. Trusting God will lead toward action. Verse 13, And when the soul of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. Until they step, the river flows. Friends, how many of us would do the opposite of what these priests do? God, I will take a step. I will do whatever you call me to do after you've laid out your plan. 
After you've given clarity and precision, and I've had my input to edit that and, you know, whatever, you've consulted me. How many of us, when Joshua came up, if Joshua, like we're there, and Joshua came up and said, hey, get, get your kids, get your babies, get your tent, we're going to walk over that river, that rushing river, let's go. You'd be like, nope, not interested. I imagine these priests and maybe Joshua even like walking toward the river. I just keep playing this in my mind. Walking toward the river with like beads of sweat coming down. And like at some point, even when they step, we don't know if it's just one like whoop or something like that. Or like it, the river where it actually stopped, we'll see the city where it's near in a minute. It's like 20 miles away. So it could have been like a trickle for a while, like for minutes, like they're walking. It's slowly going down, but like it's not all the way down yet. We don't really know exactly how it happened. But at some point, somebody is thinking, this is not working. Like we are walking into our death. We're drowning in this, you know, this ark's heavy. We're not going to be able to swim and hold the ark up. Like we're just going in. But they step. The priests take a step that makes no sense apart from God. And don't miss, don't miss the designation in verse 13 for who God is. Yahweh, the Lord of the earth. Not just the ground, but the waters. This is the Lord of this land. This is the Lord of this river. This is the God who remembers starting the flow of the Jordan, and he can stop it. It's not the river that anybody needs to be concerned about. It's the God of the river that you need to be concerned about. John Calvin says it this way, the title, the Lord of all the earth here, applied to God is not insignificant, but extols his power above all the elements of nature in order that the Israelites, considering how seas and rivers are subject to his dominion, might have no doubt that the waters, though naturally liquid, would become stable in obedience to his word. I love that. Liquid becomes stable in obedience to its maker. Faith in action is walking forward when you don't know what's going to happen. It is active trust. It is, that's the point of the word faith. You don't know. It's a trusting in the one who does know. And notice that God doesn't just have the people wade through the waters. I mean, he could have just gone, we're going to just make it waist deep. We're just going to kind of go that way, or we're going to make it knee-deep and kind of slosh around, or we're going to make it like ankle-deep, or we're just going to hop from rocks to rocks. You ever cross the creek and you're like trying to not slip on the rocks? They could have done that for a million people. That'd take forever, right? And they could have just hopped from rock to rock. That's not what he does. Notice the emphasis at the end of this passage is on dry ground. Why the emphasis on dry ground? Look at verse 17. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nations finished passing over the Jordan. The dry ground in the midst of where water flowed points to a miracle. This is 
God's hand. That does not naturally happen, but it also links them to something. It links them to there was another time when people walked through an area where water once was, and it was dry ground, Exodus 14, 29. But the people of Israel walked on, say it with me, dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. This is a new crossing. This is a new Red Sea. God took his people out of Egypt with a water crossing. Now he puts them into the promised land with a water crossing. So what we've learned from this historical account today is this. God's powerful work calls for our faithful trust. And friends, we're going to end this way. Christopher, you can come on up. God's powerful work calls for our faithful trust. And we're going to talk about three areas that just what we've already talked about, but just reiterating it. What does this look like? It means a commitment to be holy. Friends, do you have a commitment to be holy? Trusting God alone, not trusting other things, and acting on whatever God is telling us to do. So God is present, so be holy, consecrate yourselves. For some of us today, this is where we need to stop, like full stop, there's some repentance that needs to be done. And maybe even throughout today, we've had lots of time for prayer and repentance today, and you're still like, nope. And God's saying, yes. And friends, I've had that happen. He broke me. I've told you this before. I was speaking at a camp years ago, and I sat back down as we were singing some songs, and I was like, Lord, did I do that for you? Just like pretty excited about myself. And he said, no, you did that for you, Mike. And I broke. My pride was bigger than I thought. God doesn't need me. Friends, our sin, some of us just need brokenness. Brokenness of pride, brokenness of our, our rights, brokenness of our thoughts. And just say, Lord, help me. Friends, that might be you today. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you must turn from your sin. So he's present, so be holy. He's present, so be trusting. Trust God alone. Don't trust other things. Don't trust your intellect to get you through. Don't trust your money. Don't trust your career. Don't trust your people skills. Don't trust your work ethic. Don't trust your gifts. Trust God. Friends, can you, can, can you live your life right now apart from the work of the Holy Spirit? Like if you look at your life, like your plan, your day, your parenting, your marriage, and you, you really just don't really need the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it's you. That should be concerning. Friends, we need to be trusting God, asking the Spirit to empower us. Third, God is present, so take action. Take action. Friends, if God's calling you to repent, take action. If God's calling you to talk to someone, take action. If God's t- telling you to move across the world, take action. Let's honor and obey the king. And let's realize the river's still moving, probably. 
The circumstances maybe haven't changed of what you're praying about, thinking about whatever's on your mind. But steps of obedience are still there, and God meets you in the midst of it. We've seen this in our church numerous times. There's testimonies all the time of God taking people in steps that they're scared to death to do. And yet God meets them in the midst of it. Friends, we are called to submissive obedience for God's glory. Let me just end with this, and we're going to sing in a second. You might be thinking, but how, Mike? I'm so messed up. You're in good company. We are a mess. But friends, there was one who came to the same river after 40 days in the desert. He stepped into the same water, not parting the water, but identifying with humanity. Sinners like us, he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. He walked to the water. Jesus Christ walked into this Jordan. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Holy, trusting, and action is what Jesus did. So all who are in Jesus can now live holy. All who are in Jesus can now live trusting. All who are in Jesus can now take faithful steps of action as he calls us to. Let's pray. We're going to sing. If you want to come pray down here, you're welcome to. Let's stand together.